0: What was your dinner table like as you were growing up? Who set the table? Who cooked the meal? Who put the food away? Who cleaned up? You know, if we take a moment to reflect on our dinner table, we would learn a lot about our family. If you were to share with me about your dinner table, I'm sure I would understand your relationship to your parents to your siblings, maybe to other family members that were there. You know, as you think about a dinner table, and as you saw Rakeek and Ty and Tiago and Aaron set the table, you might have saw your own family. You might have saw that you had the job of putting the plates out, that you had the job of maybe sitting back while everybody else worked. Even if you think about this, where did you sit? You know, maybe in your home, the way the dinner table looked was your mom sat on one side and your dad sat on the other, and you kids kind of filled in the gaps, and kids were to be seen, not heard. Perhaps your dinner table was pure and utter chaos, food flying everywhere, screaming and yelling and laughing. But whatever you tell me about your dinner table, I'm sure you would know that you'd be able to share about yours. There's a picture that's going to go up. This was my dinner table growing up. And just to give you a little bit of background, uh, the cutest kid in the high chair is me. (laughs) And then my mom is sitting to the left, uh, or my left right now. And then there's my sister Susan, my dad and my brother Andy. And um, I just wanna point out, this picture was taken before selfie sticks. So we had to set the camera, someone had to run behind. But that's a little bit of my dinner table. You know, my sister and mom would sit next to each other, and then I would sit between my dad and brother. My role was to set the table and to clear the table. My sister put the food away, and my brother did the dishes. We laughed a lot. And my brother, uh, his main goal of dinner was to get me to laugh so hard that I would blow snot bubbles out of my nose. And... Um, if you were to go to my dinner table, we represented a lot of love, a lot of family, we prayed together and we did devotions together. Today the main point of the message is this is communion, the communion table represents Jesus' rescue of us personally and the reconciling family of God. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22. We're going to be in verses 14 through 23. As Jeremy mentioned this morning, today is the beginning of Holy Week. We celebrate today as Palm Sunday. And what Holy Week simply does is it prepares us to celebrate Easter. So we move from Palm Sunday to Good Friday. And Good Friday is the day that we celebrate and remember Jesus' death on the cross. And ultimately, it leads us to Easter And so as we think about Luke and we think about the passage that we're reading, it's not just talking about the practice of communion, but Luke in his book has 10 meal scenes. He uses the table as a point for Jesus to do some teaching And it's not just interesting what Jesus teaches; it's interesting in who Jesus has at the table. And in this section of Luke, Luke 9:51 till the end of it, this passage is like a climax of what Luke is trying to teach. See, Luke in Luke 9:51 says this: is that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross for us. This is where we find ourselves. And prior to Jesus having a meal, in the first couple verses of Luke 22, one of his disciples actually signs on to betray him. And this is where we find ourselves in Luke 22, verse 14. And it says this, when the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, you will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me, which is Judas, is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves, which of them it might be who would do this. First thing this morning, the communion table represents Jesus' rescue of us personally. One of the most important questions that you can ask when you read the Bible is what would the original hearers or readers of this passage thought? See, the Bible is written for us, not to us. There was an audience in the first century. They didn't have cars, and they didn't have cell phones, and they were in the time right after A.D. started. And so for us to understand this passage, we have to kind of put ourselves in their shoes. What would they have seen? What would they have felt? Luke is written primarily to non-Jewish, non-religious Greeks and Gentiles, And in Greek culture, there's this idea of symposium. And the beauty of symposium is this. A teacher would have their final meal with their followers, and they would share what was important to them. And so you can see that Jesus here, he's about to die on the cross. He's about to share with his followers why this meal is so important, why his mission is so important, So when we get to this passage as modern-day readers in the 21st century, we have to ask ourselves, what is Jesus trying to teach and model in this passage? So they would have seen that. But the second thing they would have seen is the connection of the Old Testament, which starts in Genesis and all the way up to Malachi in the Bible, to now where Jesus is. You see, as you read Luke 22, you'll notice the reference to Passover five times. The writer of Luke is making a strong and significant repetition and reminder that Jesus is celebrating Passover. Passover took place in Exodus 12 in the Old Testament. The prophet Moses, who is leading his people out of captivity in Egypt, had one final place that God would save them. You see, one night as the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, A lamb would be killed and would be put on the family's doorpost of their homes. And the firstborn child of every family that did that would be saved. So, if you are a reader of the book of Luke, if you are a reader, the writer is pointing to this. And you'll notice something different in Luke than maybe the other gospel writers in Matthew, Mark, and John. See, Luke mentions two Passover cups. So what most commentators think is that when you celebrate Passover as a Jewish person, there are four Passover cups, and most believe it's the second and third. But something that's missing from the Passover story is this. There's no lamb. We see bread and wine. And the Jewish people would eat lamb because lamb represented that savior. Lamb represented that blood that was shed. These are the things that the readers would be picking up. And you might wonder, why is this so important? Why do we spend time connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament? Because Jesus is positioning himself for a new covenant, as it says in verse 20. He's positioning himself for God's people for a new deliverance. He's positioning God's people from a new exodus not a political one that would overthrow the Roman government, but a spiritual and holistic one, one that that we could experience the grace and forgiveness of God. Jesus is pointing to the fact that he is the promise. He is the Messiah. You see, the Old Testament points towards Jesus, and the New Testament points back towards Jesus. And as we read this passage, it's strikingly clear that the that the writer of Luke wants us to understand this. So when Jesus goes in and and he says this, this is my body that will break. This is the cup of the shed blood. What he's saying to us is this, is he's, remember me. Remember the message of good news. Remember hope. You know, as we go into this week, as we go into Palm Sunday and Good Friday, it's it's very clear that we can jump to the resurrection, but if we don't jump to the resurrection, we meet, we miss a very important aspect of what Jesus is teaching us. You see, Jesus is teaching us that he is our rescuer, that he is with us. We talked about Judas in the last two verses of this passage. Judas sitting at the table, taking communion is complicated. He would betray Jesus. Later on in the book of Luke, there'd be four failures from the disciples. Peter would deny him. And think of this, think of being Jesus for a moment. In your greatest time of need, in your greatest moment of suffering, you go to pray and your friends fall asleep on you. In your greatest moment of pain, where you're agonizing about dying on a cross, your friends discuss who's the greatest. Jesus sits at this table. Jesus sits at his table with abandoners. When when the Romans would come and arrest him, they would be gone. He sits at a table with a denier. He sits at a table with a betrayer. You know, we see ourselves through the lives of the disciples. We, too, have fallen short. We, too, at times, have betrayed Jesus and abandoned him. But Jesus has done this throughout the whole book of Luke. Jesus has sat at a table with broken people. You see, one of the things that's repeated in Luke over and over again is this, is Jesus continues to have a meal with sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors who would swindle money away from people for the government. He would spend time with men and women, with lame people, with healthy people, with religious people. And in this moment, in this seventh meal of the book of Luke, what Jesus is doing is he's reminding us that not only do we need a rescuer, but he has come to rescue us. I have a question for you. What do you look for to rescue you? Now, some of you might push back at me and say this, Peter, I, you know, I, I have a house, I have a job, I have a car, I don't know what it means to be rescued. I don't know what it means to be lost. And sometimes the church just loses me because my life looks pretty good. And for others of you, you believe in Jesus, you come to church and you live it out, but I wonder if there's an area of your life that you look to be rescued. You know, this morning in Read 365, our Bible reading program we read the book of ecclesiastes and in ecclesiastes the writer is so in tune with our world see the writer pursues he pursues wealth he pursues riches he pursues love he pursues everything and he finds out that it's meaningless and we live in a world that says this is that if you pursue these things you'll find meaning so we pursue achievement we hope to get that promotion and we work so hard and we work 70 to 80 hours a week only to find that if we get it, it's only to the next promotion. We work so hard to craft our image to make us look like someone that matters. We edit every photo. We try to make ourselves look good. We, we say the right words and do the right things and put on the right clothes. And even with materialism, we may not say this out loud, but there's an unhealthy importance for us to have the latest car or the newest, uh, the newest house, for us to have the, the best-looking clothes. And even with education, you know, it's not just enough to have a four-year bachelor's degree, but it's important to have a master's degree. It's important to have a doctorate. It's important to have a certification. And the message that the world tells us is you can earn your own rescue you can earn your way to God. You can earn your way to happiness. But the truth is is this, is that when you pursue those things, when you pursue being the smartest, when you pursue achieving so much, you pursue such a lesser thing. Because what ends up happening is this, instead of finding rest, we end up becoming re- weary. Instead of finding contentment, we find discontentment. And so when Jesus comes, he says, I am calling you to a new exodus, a new deliverance, a new covenant. I am calling you to this because if you pursue lesser things, you'll be tired. You'll be weak. But if you pursue me as your rescuer, your life will change. When I think about my life, I've pursued my own rescue. And I can tell you that that ever since I was a child I got picked on in school. And from that day I've been that 6-year-old that still that still tries to have that chip on their shoulder. You know it's funny. You know, you go to college and you want to be the most successful. and you, if you're an engineer, what that might look like is different than what you study to be a pastor, but, but somewhere when I was in college, in the back of my mind, I thought that if I wrote books and if I did podcasts and if I did all these things, that I would matter. And it's been a long road of engaging that insecurity. It's been a long road of receiving forgiveness and grace. It's been a long road of people in, in my community saying that you are loved because of who you are. That you don't have to earn it. That's why rescue matters. Because when Jesus comes to the communion table, when Jesus comes and he breaks the bread, he says, no longer do you have to earn your way to me. And no longer is it about what you do, but it's about what I've done for you. It's about my death on the cross. It's about my resurrection. That when I see you, I see you as a child of God created and loved by me. I wonder how many of you are looking to be rescued in lesser things. I wonder what it would look like if Jesus became your rescuer. If you leaned on him. If you moved from that promotion, the achievement, the materialism if you move from sin and the idea of missing God's mark and brokenness to find wholeness in being who God created you to be. Our first point this morning is this. The communion table rec, uh, represents Jesus' rescue of us personally. But uh, I want to say one more thing about that. In, uh, in Tim Chester's A Meal with Jesus, he says this. Each time we participate in communion, we're reminded of the cross we're reminded that our sin is atoned for. We're free, forgiven, acquitted, and adopted. Let that sink in this morning. Let that sink into this point. You see, Jesus doesn't come and throw the law at you. Jesus doesn't come to condemn you. Wherever you are, whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or you just showed up here by accident because someone dragged you here, you are adopted and loved and free. So number one, the communion table represents Jesus' rescue of us personally. But the second thing is the communion table represents the reconciling family of God. Now, one of the questions that as you engage this passage that's important, why would the writer of Luke spend so much time on communion? I believe the first thing is this, is the writer of Luke wants us to understand how important communion is how important it is to remind ourselves of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. But I think the second thing that the writer of Luke wants to remind us is that the writer anticipates that someday we would take communion with people who aren't like us. We would take communion with people that we would disagree with. And even in the first century, Some would question communion because the thought was, you know, we we live in different parts of, of the city. We're different people. And Luke sees this as an important practice to remind us of this, that we are part of the reconciling family of God. Those who have been rescued by Jesus participate in his reconciling. You see, Jesus sat at a meal with his betrayer, with his abandoners, with his deniers. Because someday, he knew that you too would do that. You see, the thing about Christianity is this, as author Scott Sauls said, we are a dysfunctional family. If you spend any time in a small group, if you spend any time with people, you'll find out their imperfections. You'll find out what their issues are. And, you know, Jesus even models this further because Jesus brings people to the table that don't belong, and he brings to the table tax collectors and prostitutes, and in this meal, in the seventh meal of Luke, what Jesus is saying is this. Jesus is saying, experience the grace and forgiveness, and that when you experience that grace and forgiveness, you channel that to other people. I want you to think about this. When you go to someone's house and you're about to eat dinner, what's the first question you ask? You ask, where should I sit? Because God forbid you sit in grandma's spot. You see... When, when you think about this, whether you're a student and you go to the cafeteria, whether you're in the retirement home, whether you're in your job and you come in there and you're holding your tray and you're saying this, where should I sit? There's power when someone says, come sit at our table. There's power when someone says, no, you sit here. And do you think about that when you do that for someone else? When you see someone sitting by themselves and you welcome to the to the table. It's a very simple act. You know, I used to work for a college, and when I worked for the college, the best benefit was that as a bachelor, I could go to the cafeteria for $2.50. And what I loved about the cafeteria was this. We were all equal. We were all sitting the same terrible cafeteria food together. PhDs down to freshmen. Down to staff, down to people from different backgrounds. And we would sit at these tables with students and we would have these long conversations and people belonged. You see, when we think about Jesus and we think about communion representing the reconciling family of God, there's two implications to that. The first implication is this communion expands who we think belongs at the table, communion expands who we think belongs at the table. You see, in a few moments, we're going to take communion together as a church family. And sitting in your row are men and women, Democrats and Republicans, African Americans, white, Asian, Indian, people that are rich and people that are poor. And I can tell you there's at least two things in common with all of us. We all got to eat and we're all in need of a savior. Communion binds us together. You see, in a world that says, if you disagree with someone, you can ostracize them. In a world that says, if you don't belong in the right area, we come to church and we live out the gospel and we believe this. If you're different from me, you're not so different from me. If I've been rescued, then therefore I see that Jesus has rescued you. When we eat communion together, it is better than a thousand preachings of sermons because what it says to the world around us is it says this, for one moment in this church, what would divide us comes under the love and forgiveness and the gospel of Jesus Christ that rescued people participate as the reconciling family of God. That means we forgive each other and we hold short accounts. That means we love each other. That's the implication of communion when we take it together. But the second implication is this. Our tables reflect who we believe is invited to Jesus' table. Our tables reflect who we believe is invited to Jesus' table. So let me ask you this. Who are the tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes? Who are the deniers, the betrayers, the abandoners in your life? Who are the people that you might say they're two or three steps away from the table? We would never say that they wouldn't belong at communion. We would never say that, that Jesus couldn't save them, but maybe we would say, no, 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 they're, they're over here. You see, what communion does is this. It reminds us That Jesus brought people to the table that didn't belong. Jesus shatters our definition of who belongs to the table. Why do we make such a big deal of inviting people for Easter? Why do we make such a big deal of you people reaching others, of all of us reaching other people? Because God has placed people in your life, some who you like, some who you don't like, that you are gonna be the Bible that they read. And you know what? You know what would be the greatest compliment for the church? Is these people that you think are two to three steps outside of belonging to the table? Is if you invited them to their table and they said this, man, Christians are weird. They believe weird stuff. But let me tell you what, that meatloaf was the best meatloaf I ever had. (laughs) Let me tell you what, they love well. Let me tell you what, Christians might be like this, but when I'm with my friend, it's a totally different. You see, what Luke is doing with communion, it is our mission, not just for us to experience life change in Jesus, but for us to invite other people to experience life change in Jesus. That's why we talk about inviting people to Easter. That's why we have a community Easter egg hunt because we believe that God is still in the business of inviting people to the table. We believe that God is still in the business of saying to people that feel like they don't belong in church, oh, you do. And if you knew my story, you'd wonder how I got there but Jesus. You see, our tables who you invite to dinner, who you invite out to dinner. It says what you believe about the gospel, but it also says who you believe Jesus would invite. And as you read the book of Luke, what you begin to see is this, is Jesus has a way bigger table than we could ever think or imagine. And the people that we think are farthest might actually be the people that are closest to experiencing the gospel in a life-changing way as we close and as we're about to go to the communion table. I wanted to read this passage from the Jesus Storybook Bible. The Jesus Storybook Bible is the book that's handed out at Baby D for our little ones from family ministry. And I want you to hear this passage through what you've engaged in Luke here. Jesus says this, "'My body is like this bread.'" It will break, Jesus told them. This cup of wine is like my blood, it will pour out. But this is how God will rescue the whole world. My heart will tear apart and your hearts will heal. Just as the Passover lamb died, so now I will die instead of you. My blood will wash away all of your sin and you'll be clean on the inside in your hearts." So whenever you eat and drink, remember, Jesus said, I've rescued you. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And as the servers are coming with the communion elements, I'm going to ask you to hold them. But I want you to think about this. Number one, maybe for some of you here, it's the first question, how have I tried to rescue myself outside of Jesus? And maybe, maybe this is the first time you've engaged that. Maybe you're saying to yourself, I need to be rescued. You can say a prayer right in your seat. And maybe this is the first time that you're taking communion as a follower of Jesus. But the second thing is this. Who has Jesus called me to reconcile? Who are people that are in need of love and forgiveness in my life? Who are people that I might have put to the side? I want you to think about that. If you're here and you're not quite ready to take communion and you're not following Jesus, there's no judgment here. We'd encourage you just to pass it along. And you can take a moment to pray if you're not ready to do so. But today, as we take communion and as we hold it and we take it together as a family, we remembered that we're rescued. We're remembered that people in this church are rescued and part of the family of God. And we're reminded that we are part of a reconciling family, that there are still people God brings to the table. Let's take a moment right now as they pass out the elements. communion reminds us it represents Jesus' rescue of us and the reconciling family that we're a part of when Jesus was with his disciples he took the bread and he said this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me let's partake of that bread In the same manner, while he was with his disciples, he took the cup and he said, "This is my blood, the new covenant, the new exodus, the new deliverance. It represents my shed blood for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake." We have quite a week here at Browncroft, and. Um, First of all, I just want to remind you, every time we take communion, we have a mercy offering, and that's to help people that are in acute need here at the church. And so I'd encourage you on your way out. But as you think and pray for this week, I just want to remind you, uh, this week is Flower City Work Camp. Thousands and thousands of people are going to receive the love of God, not just in word, but in deed. Pray for our students and our leaders. As you leave, uh, there's a guide available. Um, for Holy Week. It's for you and your small group, your family, even gathering together a group of friends. It's based off this message. And it's an encouragement for you to not only take communion here, but to take communion as a family and really reflect on Jesus's death on the cross and why that matters to us. The last thing, as you leave, we have two invitations. We have a community Easter egg hunt. We're hoping for a thousand kids, lots of Easter eggs, you know, if you don't have a child to bring or a grandchild or a niece or a nephew, there's still time to volunteer, a way to show Christ's love. And then next week we have our Easter services and it's all on the website. So if you want to grab these two postcards as a way of living out this message of inviting people to experience Jesus, we'd encourage you to do so. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. My prayer for you is that you would no longer look for things outside of Jesus to rescue you. I pray that that you would be a part of the reconciling family of God, bringing people who think they don't belong to the table and being part of God's story of bringing them to the table. I want to say a blessing over you. If you feel comfortable, you can lift your hands as if you're receiving it. May the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the encouragement and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit be with you. May you never ask something to rescue you outside of Jesus. May you experience God's grace in radical ways this week, and may you live expecting that God is going to bring people to the table who may be very different from you, who may be the hardest people, but to know that God is working on them. And lastly, may we be a church that lives out the message of the gospel in such a way that people experience the love of Jesus. And we pray this all in the name of the resurrection life. Amen. Be blessed.